Good morning. It is good to be with you as we continue our worship now in the reading and the understanding of God's Word and the application on our lives. If you're someone who happens to be a person who listens to any uh, local public radio programming at all, you might be familiar with an organization by the name of StoryCorps. StoryCorps is a group that uh, does fascinating work in collecting and preserving and uh, sharing, archiving people's live stories uh, through mostly interviews. And they are played on public radio. They're also stored and archived at the Smithsonian Institute. And one of the things that StoryCorps has discovered through their experience is that one of the most effective questions for connecting and building connections, for generating conversations, beginning conversations, their most, one of their most effective questions is the question, do you remember when fill in the blank. Do you remember when? I heard that the other day, and I have noticed ever since. We ask that question a lot. We like that question. Do you remember when? I've also noticed that that question evokes typically one of two types of responses. The first response is fairly unemotional, and that's because it really builds off of broad or general recollections of our past. Do you remember when you were in eighth grade? Do you remember summer camp? Do you remember the 60s? Maybe, maybe not. Right? The second type of response is one that, uh, that stems from deeper, more intense memories. Right? If you're old enough, do you remember when the U.S. Olympic hockey team beat the Russians? Do you remember when you said, I do? Do you remember when the World Trade Center towers fell? Instantly, right? Many of us are transported in time when we hear these sorts of questions about our past. The, the details are, are vivid. We're there. I mean, the sights, the sounds, sometimes the smells are very clear. It's because those memories are made of some of our most significant, and really just a few, significant, most impressionable moments along our life journey. Do you remember when? Well, last month, we began a series on the parables of Jesus, and we started with the parable of the sower and the seed, and it was a parable that marked a significant transition in the earthly ministry of Jesus and his teaching. So significant, so impressionable, that I'm convinced that had the disciples ever had the opportunity to get back together years later... One of the more inevitable questions would have been, hey guys, do you remember when Jesus started teaching in parables all the time? Do you remember that day? That day was special. I mean, admittedly, every day with Jesus was fairly memorable, right? But this day was special. This was a do you remember day. And for us, it provides a special context to how we look at the parables as a whole and how we have moved from that day to where we are this morning in this morning's message. See, Jesus was two years into his teaching, his earthly ministry. Scripture says and that's two out of three that we find. So two-thirds complete. Matthew in chapter 4, verse 23, tells us it had been a busy two years. He had gone throughout Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel. He was healing diseases and afflictions among the people. 
Now, this was two years of interpreting Scripture, of proclaiming and demonstrating himself to be the Messiah. Two years of teaching, mostly really direct instructions. Do this, don't do this. Really straightforward, Sermon on the Mount sort of teaching. In all of this two years, across the Gospels, we see less than a handful of parables, and even those can be loosely defined as parables, recorded in any of this two years. But that day, on that day, Jesus had been confronted by the religious leaders. And I'm thinking it was just, well, it was the timing, but it was once too often. And on that day, Jesus said, enough. No more straightforward teaching. Those of you with dull hearts, those of you who have ears but do not hear, those of you who are determined to reject me, no more. No more straightforward teaching. Now see, so drastic was that day, two years into his ministry, that the shift was obvious to the disciples. They questioned him on it. They said, Jesus, why are you doing it? Why are you teaching in parables now? And so obvious was the shift that Matthew records for, for our historical accounts. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. And so from that moment, that day, the parable of the sower and the seed, we as a congregation have moved chronologically through the gospel of Matthew over the last six weeks. We have traveled from Galilee and are now into Jerusalem. The confrontations with the religious leaders have become more intense. Last week, we were in the temple, and Jesus is confronted. It's the, one of the parables that we've looked at, one of the only ones where he's speaking directly to the religious leaders. They leave from there, and if you remember what they said, ouch, we don't like that. We don't understand it, but we think he's talking about us, and we don't like it. We need to find a way to get him arrested. So we are in this final week. We've moved along with Jesus toward the cross. We've noticed the parables have begun with kingdom salvation and included kingdom grace, but they've intensified with the message about kingdom judgment. And so today, one year and about three dozen recorded parables later, we find Jesus having left the temple and sitting atop the Mount of Olives. He is with his disciples, and he is within two days of his arrest and his crucifixion. About 48 hours. And he, he goes into this last session of extended teaching. Now, I, I have to think that if this is the last teaching that Jesus leaves his disciples in sort of this teaching format, we are to add a bit more significance to it. He has marched us through, and this is what he's leaving with us. And what he touches on in these final moments has to be really important. And what he touches on is the idea of staying ready while he's away. So this morning, I invite you to ascend with me up the Mount of Olives for a message on why and how we are called to kingdom readiness. Kingdom readiness. And I'm going to say before we get started with our first point, 
there's a lot going on in this passage, but it really comes together. There's, there's likely four illustrations, four types of parables here, and they're going to pull together. But the first one, the first two that we look at as one point, that's really the why. This is, what, this is what I want you to know. Then the last two are the how. This is what you can do about it. Okay? So first, first thing we notice is that much of this teaching on the Mount of Olives, two days from the cross, has turned into a conversation about the second coming, his return. And the disciples, I have to believe, just like you and I, their number one question is what? When? When does all this take place? This is fascinating, Jesus. This is great. We love what you're telling us, these events and these signs, and you're coming back. When? He tells them emphatically and repeatedly. We see at least three times over these next two chapters. He says, no one can know. We simply can't know. The time, he says, the time, the day, or the hour, which really would have been a phrase for a wider span of time. It was a, it was a bit of an idiom that would have said, you could, you could easily have said, you don't know the time, you don't know the day, the hour, the week, the year, the, the decade, the century. You just can't know, you won't know, you don't know. Now, I admit, I... Um, in preparing this, I don't know if you've ever done this, but I wondered about that. I'm wondering, what if I did know? What if Jesus had told us when he's coming back? If scripture had, we could open up scripture today and it would say January 13th, 2072. What would that have been like? I've concluded, at least for myself, that God realizes how self-centered and undisciplined I truly am. That in my fallen nature, I would have fallen into the trap of there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time to repent. There's plenty of time to change. There's plenty of time to serve and be about kingdom work. Because it's not till January 23rd, 2082. I've discovered that uncertainty can be a real catalyst for urgency and priority. And I think that's what's going on here. And so here's the thing, and here's our first point today. Even though we can't know when Jesus will return, we stay ready when we stay aware and knowledgeable that he is going to return. Verses 37 and 39 in our passage here today in Matthew 24, we read that, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were, what, unaware. Until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, Scripture tells us that the world was um, especially sinful in the days of Noah. There was great wickedness. There was great violence. Scripture specifically speaks to the violence in the days of Noah. That's not what Jesus is referring to here, though. Jesus, in referring to the eating and the drinking, the marrying and giving and the marriage, he's referring to the, the, the ins and outs of daily life, everyday business as usual uh, existence. And in fact, some have suggested that there might even be a slight nuance in the words that were used here uh, that might indicate a bit of an indulgence. But really, just as we go through life, you might want to say that uh, we go through life and uh, we pursue this, this worldly activity and we just want to wine and dine and gorge and guzzle. 
That's a bit what Jesus is saying. They, he's not really getting it over the wickedness. He's just saying they were preoccupied with the matters and the pleasures of the world. They were completely unaware of a pending doom. They were both clueless and careless. And even though they had every opportunity, I mean, Noah's building an ark, but he's proclaiming, he's teaching judgment. Don't want to hear it because we just are going day to day. We're just getting through. Hey, and, um, you know, it, uh, we only live once, right? So let's, let's, let's just live according to the world. And that's what he's saying here. They're just, they're, they're just going about it. Jesus is saying, when I return... It will be deja vu all over again. That will be the matter of which he finds most of the world unprepared and unaware. And so he starts there and then, and then he builds on this idea. He has his second illustration. We're all still in the same sort of awareness uh, idea. Uh, he says in verses 40 through 41, Then two men will be in the field, and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. And you see that he again emphasizes everyday, everyday life, everyday activity, working along. Without notice, one is taken, one remains. And I think back to what uh, Pastor Beatty had shared with us several weeks ago that uh, many of us, as we're studying the parables and, and looking at this series, we're starting to really see clearly this whole theme throughout all of them on separation. The wheat and the weeds, the good fish, bad fish. The goats and the sheep, one in the field, one taken, one at the mill, one taken. On an ordinary day, as in the days of Noah, two will be at the soccer field. Two will be in a drive through Two will be at a business meeting. One will be aware that there is a promised return. The other will not. And that's the point of these illustrations. That's the awareness that he's asking us to consider. And they really beg the question, right, for each of us to reflect on individually by ourselves. Am I aware? Will I be surprised? And of course, both of those are resolved with one even bigger question. How I answer, have I confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior of my life? That's the only real assurance of awareness. Being aware is being ready and being knowledgeable. Before the second point, this is, this is a good place to sort of give a, a caution, a warning, a side note, a point of interest in our teaching here. See, when we look at parables as a whole, we've talked about this. They're really simple. They're straightforward. We often try to read a lot of symbolism into every aspect of the parable. And this is really straightforward. This is one of the examples where we sometimes tend to do that. We start chasing rabbits. Because the central teaching of this illustration is simply the separation. And a lot of times we'll look at it and we'll start talking what? Rapture. Let's talk about the specifics of the rapture. That's not what's going on here. In fact, uh, unlike a popular book and movie series, I think in this case it's better to be left behind. Now Paul speaks about rapture in First and Second Thessalonians, but this is, this is what's so, so brilliant about the parables, the straightforwardness. In the context of Noah, Noah, we see that the unrighteous are, what, swept away. In all the parables we've looked at so far, the unrighteous are cast aside, taken out, thrown away, taken out. In the bottom line, though, 
And this is sometimes, again, I'm just trying to keep us from chasing rabbits on this one in terms of rapture. It doesn't matter. That's not the point of the illustration. The point is that one day, two will be working side by side, and there will be a separation in some form. And kingdom readiness is simply rooted in the willingness to understand and be aware that that will take place. That's the message of the why. And then Jesus says, okay, now, now that you're aware, all of my followers, those of you who profess me as Lord, let me give you two really good ways you can stay ready. And so the first thing he tells uh, his disciples is that we can stay ready when we stay alert and watchful. And we read this in, in verses 42 through 44. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. He would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Vigilance. Here we go again, this theme of unexpectedness. Being ready means that while we're willing to accept that we, we don't know the time of his return, we live as if it could be at any time. We are to assume a constant state of watchfulness. Now, this isn't dwelling on end times. This is simply a matter of, uh, unlike guarding physically our home intrusions, this is about remaining awake in our, the condition of our heart. Guarding, being alert on the condition of our heart so that his return doesn't catch us unexpected, asleep in a state of spiritual slumber. You know, it is kind of odd, isn't it, that he uses thief here, right? It's kind of, you know, there's this analogy, analogy of, of thief with Jesus, a burglar, the Lord of creation. That seems a little bit odd to me. Why would he, that seems like a negative thing to say. And I think it starts really with an understanding of what we see throughout all the New Testament, uh, that this would have been a very uh, common uh, application of just unexpectedness. That's the only idea I'm trying to get uh, past you right here. You know, and Luke has a parallel parable. Uh, Paul speaks about uh, the Lord coming as a thief in the night. Peter also says the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Uh, and then in Revelation, uh, there's this speaking of the Lord that he says, I will be coming like a thief in the night. So over and over uh, and over, the meaning of each of these is just that the return is occurring at a sudden, unexpected time for many. You know, a thief, uh, at least a, a good thief, if there's such a thing, a good thief, a good thief is stealth-like. A good thief strikes when the homeowner is most unprepared, unaware, careful, not watching. The thief is doing all these things, getting prepared for that. I hope this hasn't happened to you. I'm sure it's happened to a few of you. A few years ago, um, several years ago now, my, my vehicle was broken into um, in the night, <laughs> in my driveway, major rainstorm going on overnight. Well, I think to myself... Who really breaks into vehicles during a major rainstorm overnight? I don't say that anymore. Uh, in fact, I've learned that actually uh, rainy nights are some of the uh, prime opportunities for thieves. Why? Because we're, we're, we're distracted. We're less careful. I want to get in the house. I'm not worried about locking my doors. I'm carrying groceries. Who's going to come in tonight? I wouldn't go out in the car when it's raining. And Jesus, uh, not... 
obviously uh, a thief in this instance, but he's saying, you know, that, that feeling you get when someone breaks in your house or your car and it was the, the least possible time that you thought it would happen? Now multiply that infinitely, eternally, um, and that's what this feeling will be like for many. Completely unaware, completely unexpected. And the most, obviously, spiritually unprepared and inattentive are those who have never confessed Jesus as Lord. His return is, is nowhere even on the radar. But for those who would say that you are a follower of Jesus, the idea of spiritual readiness it means that we keep from drifting in our faith, avoiding a place of willful disobedience. We stay alert, much like uh, Peter tells us, First Peter. Uh, he tells us uh, that uh, we're to be alert and sober-minded so that our sin and our, our lust and our temptations and the devil himself won't devour us while we're waiting. And in a sense, this, this purpose of what Jesus is saying with the thief of the night it's much like one of those most dreaded of parental reminders. And I don't know if any of you ever heard this as a, as a child, but it's the um, roll your eyes, kind of fingernails on the chalkboard uh, words from your parents as you're headed out the door on a Friday or Saturday night. David, don't do anything you wouldn't want Jesus to catch you doing if he comes back tonight. Right? Right? Well, you know, honestly, most of us probably needed to hear that. And in the spirit of that warning, but free of the guilt and uh, free of the fear or the rigid dogma that sometimes we tack on to that warning, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that we're to be on guard, be prepared, because I'm coming back, and it might be tonight. Kingdom readiness, alert and watchful of our spiritual condition. And then lastly, he says, let me tell you one more, and I really think this is the central lesson of the entire passage. We stay ready when we stay active and faithful. 45 through 51 says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked, wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, we've seen that sort of closing passage in some of the other parables, that place of uh, eternal separation from the master, a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. The other common mark that we've seen in some of the parables is the contrast between the wise and the wicked, uh, the faithful and the evil. It's, it's deliberately extreme. And that's what we have here, too, right? Two servants are given responsibility for a household while the master goes away. It's a fairly straightforward job. Guys, take care of the household. Take care of those in the household. And the first servant recognizes that, that the master's absence, it actually increases the burden of responsibility. He'll be more conscientiously ever to fulfill these duties. He knows he has to give an account. He wants to ensure that the master finds him about those duties whenever he returns. 
So he actively and faithfully serves at all times. The second servant, he sees the absence as a time to take it easy, right? To shirk the responsibility. Out of sight, out of mind, cats away, mice will play. Do whatever his heart inclines, whatever makes him happy. And here's the real, here's what's happened to this servant that can happen to us if we're not careful. The servant has become the master. And that's what's happened here. And what does he do? He's harsh. He's abusive. He's disobedient. He's out of control. The masters return on each and they're rewarded each for based on what he finds them doing. It's the blessedness of a job well done for one of them and the consequences of eternal separation for the other. And here's, here's the key to this one compared to the previous one where Jesus has talked primarily about uh, the being swept away of those who have not confessed me as Lord, uh, that they'll be unprepared, but they were totally unaware. This is someone who should have been aware. This is someone who had access to the master's household. This is someone who might actually have hung out around the master's household. This is someone who might call themselves religious, who might give lip service to being a Christian, who might think that when they're out of the master's sight, I can behave as out of control as the wicked servant. They lack the conviction of true faith, and I think the timing is awesome with our sermon series on James this summer where James told us that we're all going to stumble sometimes. This isn't talking about our failures while pursuing a life of faith, but this is talking about living in our sin, accepting our sin with no conviction, that James says that can really be a matter of, uh, of genuine faith or not. And of course, James also reminded us basically what we're hearing with a servant, that faith without works is dead. And so Jesus says, stay about the works. And what was expected of the servants in this passage? It's, it's what's expected of you and I. I think it, it aligns when we break it down. The best way of pretty much all the instruction that we're given throughout out Scripture aligns to the two, the two greatest commandments that Jesus would say. Jesus would say to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, with all your mind. Basically, Obey the instructions that I give you because you love me. And to love our neighbor as ourself. Take care of the household. Take care of others. The faithful and the wise servant encourage us to stay ready by actively living out the word of God and bearing fruit in his name. Kingdom readiness. Stay active and faithful. So like I said, it, it, we kind of move through several things here, but it, it ties up nicely because here's what we're going to talk about in terms of applying uh, these, these three points. First, in being aware and knowledgeable, Jesus emphasized again, we can't know, but we're to acknowledge that it will happen. And the primary application for this, for anyone sitting here today, the primary application is to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and acknowledging that separation will occur. And so if you're here this morning and you've not yet confessed Jesus as Lord, that's our highest priority. That's our highest privilege is to spend time with you and help answer any questions. And I would encourage you to pursue, be curious about this point of kingdom readiness. 
For those of us who would say we are followers of Jesus, let the reminder of the days of Noah, how they can lull us into a lack of urgency for sharing and showing the gospel and the love of Jesus. Let the knowledge that one day there will be two, one will be taken, one will, one will remain, let it move us to pray with great compassion and concern for those around us. Aware and knowledgeable. Secondly, alert and watchful. Like preventing an intruder right, from breaking in our home, we treat the return of Jesus with vigilance. We guard our heart. The least prepared again are the ones who are oblivious to this, this return. Yet as believers, some of us sitting here today may recognize that we aren't as alert or watchful as we once were. Maybe we've fallen asleep in certain areas of our faith. And so if that's you here this morning, I'd encourage you to find Christ-centered community. Whether that's in a small group, whether that's in a one-on-one -on -one accountability partner, whether that's in your home where you start to discuss and, and, and come back awake and alert. And if your spiritual condition is suffering due to a particular sin, address it. Pray for it. Pray to be free from temptation. Seek help. Seek others to pray for you. And for all of us, being alert and watchful means that wherever we find ourselves today, if you just profess being a believer today or you've been walking 80 years, wherever that point is, being alert and watchful means that tomorrow will be just a little bit further along in Christ-like maturity. Moving forward, growing is the best way to stay guarded. Aware and watchful. And then finally, what's the application of being active and faithful? I think it, it starts with this idea of what this whole passage is about. And our observation, I think many of you will have observed, that it becomes easy uh, to be consumed with the ideas of sort of Jesus returning. That's fascinating, right? It's mind-blowing. It's, it's wonderful to think about being in glory, to, to have the hope of that glory. But we can become consumed with that and the details surrounding it. I mean, for centuries, Christians and non-Christians alike have spent countless hours and resources and energy and end-time debate and study. There are many dozens of predictions that were made in the name of the church of the details of when Jesus would return. There are books, there are movies, there are websites, there are seminars, there are conferences, there are charts, there are countdown clocks, and there are many well-meaning believers who have made it their life mission to be an end-of-times expert. I believe that Matthew 24 is telling us on much of that, not all of it, but on most of it, Matthew 24 tells us, stop it, stop it. The parable of the faithful and wise servant is clear. It's not about knowing when Jesus is going to return. It's being blessed by being the one who fulfills what's asked while he's away. Goes about the day with a desire to please the master for when he returns. Confident that in no matter what time, he or she will be faithfully ready. That's the most important understanding of kingdom readiness. A heart to please the master that's not working for our salvation. That's accomplished by grace but working because of our salvation. So what do we do? We learn, we love, we live out God's word. 
we approach each day with great humility, with great kindness, with great gentleness, with grace, and with truth. We grow into Christ-like maturity each day a little bit more. We're careful with our words, our attitudes, our thoughts, because they reflect our master until he returns. And that is how we live out kingdom readiness. Aware, alert, and active. I want to close as an emphasis, particularly on that final point. It's a point that on the wise and and the faithful and wise servant really was driven home for me. And I'm prayerful that it will be for you. It's a short excerpt from a book entitled The Philippian Fragment. It was written by Calvin Miller. And it's a story uh, that is made up of uh, having discovered a first century letter written by a pastor of a first century church. His name was Eusebius. And Eusebius goes on, he chronicles some of the issues of the first century church, which uh, not surprisingly mirror some of the contemporary issues. And sometimes in humorous ways, uh, but often in ways that make us say, ouch. In this particular moment, an argument has has broken out in the church. It has divided the church. It has paralyzed the church. It is an argument about the return of Jesus. After hours of heated discussions, a young lady by the name of Phoebe is asked to cast a deciding vote on which end-of-times prediction and description the church will align themselves behind, which was most accurate. Yet on the day of the decision... Eusebius finds Phoebe visiting lepers rather than attending the meeting. And this is where the dialogue picks up. Phoebe, I blurted out, don't you care? We must know if the Lord is coming back before or after or during the tribulation. When he returns, do you really want to be found in a state of indecision on this matter? Or do you want to be at the second coming scroll study answering this important question? Phoebe replied, actually, this is where I want to be found. Pointing to a circle of thatched huts from where a young man came walking toward us, his face was badly blighted and part of his hand was gone. Phoebe looked to the man and she asked him, sir, when do you think the Lord is coming back? With pain in his eyes, a single tear ran down across his cheek. He said nothing. I handed her a bandage, and in that moment, and ever since that moment, I cannot remember why I ever thought the question was so important. That's a big idea of our message today, because we can't know when Jesus will return our readiness, kingdom readiness, it's demonstrated by our actions. It is guarded by our alertness, and it is motivated by our awareness, kingdom readiness. Would you pray with me this morning? Our Heavenly Father, we do have just a wonderful expectation of your return. We are grateful, Lord, uh, if it is in our lifetime uh, for that to happen. Uh, but Lord, we, we pray that you would find us ready. Lord, we pray that uh, we would be about your work. Lord, we pray that we would be prepared by having received you as Lord and Savior, that we would not be caught unaware Lord, we pray that uh, you would find us faithfully bearing fruit and that you would do so, uh, that we would bear it in your name alone. 
And it is the name in which we pray, Christ Jesus. Amen.